Well, again, I welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, we will be turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. This particular topic is in a series called True Spirituality, which we've been focusing on. And this happens to be, there's two, two sermons to this part. I've entitled them Giving a Grace-Consumed Life. This is one of the most uncomfortable topics that any pastor does not want to talk about, which is giving. But what I want you to see today is this is actually all about Jesus Christ. So at the end of this sermon, you should see Jesus Christ very clearly, and you'll understand that this is not just about giving. It's about a whole lot more. Now, my goal in this sermon is not to just see more money coming into the church. I need you to understand that. But actually, what I want is for you to live in the fullness of the joy that God has for you. And I want you to live out of Christ's riches. I want you to live out of the wonder of the infinite grace that is found in Christ Jesus. I want you to live a grace-consumed life. The world tells us that life is good when we have everything we want. And so we shell out money, if we have it, for whatever we think will actually do this for us. And the question is that how has followers of Christ who see his examples get ca got caught up in this? Have you ever asked yourself that question? How have followers of Christ, the one who left glory and came down and emptied himself of his glory, took on the form of a servant and bore death upon a cross, lived a life of poverty, giving of his time, his treasure, everything for us? How in the world have people that have been saved by that grace been consumed with the, the ways of the world? In the church, the topic of giving does not always include the topic of or the talk about God's extravagant grace, except so much in the sense that if you give, you'll get a whole bunch of stuff shaken out, poured out, measured, right? We use verses, Bible verses like that. Or we look at Malachi. And so I say to you, oh, hey, if you go ahead and don't stop robbing God and you give of your tithe, then God will open up the storehouses of heaven and bless you. Isn't that the way that you hear giving so much? It's completely man-centered. It's not that the Bible doesn't say those things. And that those things aren't true because they are in the Bible. The problem is, is, is that that is only should be something that's an ancillary motivation. There's a deeper motivation. And you understand that there is, was a more full revelation of Jesus Christ after those passages were spoken. And so giving is actually talked about in terms of multiplication within the church. But actually, I don't know, the last time I checked, giving is actually subtraction. If I have $1,000 and I give away $100, I do not have $3,000, do I? All right, anybody, how much do I have? $900. Giving is subtraction, not multiplication. It doesn't mean that God can't bless that. But if I sit up here and tell you, if you give, you'll be all your stuff and wealth will be multiplied, 
It's like, no, you'll have less stuff. That's the reality. I mean, what is, where do we get, where do we come up with this stuff? Have you ever thought about that and wondered about that? So the reality is, is that nobody wants really to have less. I mean, do you want to have less? No, let's be honest. Nobody wants to have less. So if I want you to give, what do I need to do? Tell you that you'll have more. But that's not really accurate when we talk about just finances. So I think actually that we don't do this because we have lost the understanding of where true joy and fulfillment comes from. We are consumed with ourselves and are satisfied with whatever paltry joy that we can create for ourselves. Our problem is that our desires aren't too strong, actually. They are too weak and focused on what can never satisfy us. You will never satisfy yourself. Nothing you can do for yourself will ever satisfy you. This is why C.S. Lewis said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. The reality is that giving will not satisfy you. Do you know that? Giving will not satisfy you. Have you ever heard this sermon before? Oh, if you give, you'll be happier. It's not going to make you happier to give. People say that. But the reality is nothing, anything, nothing apart from being consumed with the extravagant grace of God as found in the face of Jesus Christ will, and being led deeper into him will ever satisfy you. When we are consumed by God's grace, we will live a life of extravagant giving because we have experienced and are found in the extravagant giver, Jesus Christ. Let me, let me say that again. When we are consumed by God's grace, we will live a life of extravagant giving because we have experienced and are found in the extravagant giver, Jesus Christ. So before we begin, if you hear nothing else, I'm going to summarize the entire sermon in just one sentence. Are you ready? Giving is about God's grace from beginning to end. Giving is about God's grace from beginning to end. That's the essence of this sermon. I want to give a quick background before I read. Paul, in his last letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he had challenged them with these several corrections for their erring behavior, and then he actually encouraged them to give a, 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 a collection, to take up a collection for an offering for the poor people in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was actually um, in a place where they were st their people were, were starving. They, were, they didn't have much as m money. We're necessarily starving 100%, but they were, they were having trouble with food. There was a couple famines that were in the land. The church was impoverished. And so Paul was, wanted to take up a collection so that he could help the church in Jerusalem. And now, um, he had a fall. The, the, the Corinthians had a little falling out with Paul. They were a little upset with him. But now Titus has returned from a trip there, and he's given Paul some good news that they've repented. So the Corinthians were upset with Paul, then they repented, and now Titus has given Paul this good news. And so Paul wants to set the record straight about his call as an apostle, and then he tries to get them focused on Christ. So among other things, he calls them 
to give again. So he, he asked them to give, and now he does it again. And he wants them to contribute generously to that poverty-stricken church. And if you don't know why this is important, he actually wanted them to show their evidence of their faith and their growth in grace. And he also wanted to show the unity between the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers. Have you ever thought about why it's so significant for Paul taking up a collection for Jerusalem and for the Jewish believers? He was trying to show the grace of Christ in the Gentiles to the people of God, the Jews, so that he could show that they're all one in Jesus Christ. And they don't have all these dividing lines because, as it says in Galatians, he, he, he tore, or Ephesians, he tore down the dividing line of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so the giving of the Corinthians would be an expression of the gospel that aligned with their repentant hearts, and it would prove that they had not pushed Paul away, but had realigned himself with, their, with his ministry, especially his ministry to the Gentiles. And so it would be a capstone of Paul's apostolic ministries to the Gentiles if he could show that those Gentiles were united with the Jews. So the reason for that poverty, I mentioned it, is the, basically in the mid-40s or so, in the first century, there were several um, of, uh, different um, uh, uh, famines. And, but whatever the reason, if there was other reasons, it looks like the collection was needed to give relief to the Jewish Christians. And so... It wasn't just charity. It was about solidarity. So let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, or 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that he, as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God is forever. Amen. Let me pray. Oh, glorious God, would you show us your grace? Would you shine the riches of Christ upon us by faith? And would you allow us to see Jesus in all his glory? Would you allow us to have hearts that are motivated by the grace, the rich grace that is found in Christ Jesus? And Lord, would you allow us to not have weird, strange cultural views of giving or anything else, but we would have Christ's view of giving? And so we thank you and we praise you and ask that you would be with us, fill us with your spirit, and allow us to worship you through this sermon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, though today we're going to be focusing on the first nine verses, one to nine, within verses one to 15, the word grace appears five times. Though one is a little bit tricky to see if you have the ESV, it's not tricky to see if you're reading from the Greek. But this is important because Paul is telling the Corinthians 
that giving is about grace from beginning to end. So what does this word grace mean? Now, in the, in the scriptures, you'll see grace, this, this, this idea of grace, run in a similar line with another term called mercy. So you have these two ideas, mercy and grace. Now, mercy, you probably know, is that we deserve God's judgment for our sin, but Christ has pity on us, and he's taken the judgment upon himself. So mercy is, we should get judgment, but we don't. And so Jesus had compassion on us by not giving us what we deserved. Now, grace is a little different. Grace carries the idea of God giving unmerited favor to us that's unearned. And so, essentially, he gives us what we didn't deserve. So, grace is giving what you, getting what you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do. So, he has given us the blessing of forgiveness, adoption, peace with God, purpose for living, and he saved us by giving us his grace. Now, let's see what Paul has to say about giving and grace. Verses 1 to 5, what we're going to see here is God's grace is shown through generosity. Verses 1 through 5, God's grace shown through generosity. Now, Paul's primary concern, you understand, is not budgets and finances. It's really not his concern. But the fruit of a true work of God's grace in the believer's lives. That's what he's looking at. He's like, I want to see you, Corinthians, appear to have the fruit of what God has done in you. So his focus is not on what others have or will do for us if we give, but rather what God has already done for us in Christ. See, the idea of giving to get is so ridiculously backwards. And you, you, all you have to do is turn on a TV preacher and you'll hear it, right? Give, you know, you sow seeds. To the ministry, and you'll receive a hundredfold or whatever they say, tenfold. So the problem is, is, is that this has nothing to do with grace, and it has to do with self-centeredness, getting stuff. Giving to get is mercenary. You understand that, right? It's mercenary. So Paul is establishing through the Macedonian church's example that the foundation of giving is actually God's grace. Now, in verse 1, you'll notice how the Macedonians, it says, gave says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Macedonia received God's grace, and that's why they gave. So God had given them grace, which then would allow them to give. You see, God gives us many gifts, but all of them flow from the ultimate expression of the grace that is found in Jesus Christ, who has reconciled sinners to himself. God's rich grace was poured out on us, so that we then can take and pour that out on others. We get our cup full because of the grace of God, and then we take our cup that's full and we pour it out on others, pouring out that same grace that we have received. So grace is actually rooted in our response to God. We give of ourselves as God has given of himself to us. Our giving comes from inside. It can't be external only. It has to come out of a gospel root because giving is actually a gospel fruit. Giving must come from a gospel root because it ultimately is a gospel fruit. That's what giving is. 
So let's look at verse 2, living in joy. Paul reminds us here that giving comes out of a heart that is delighted in all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. You see, the Macedonian example is super challenging. Why? Okay. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overwhelmed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Okay, that go, are you, do you see two things in there that don't belong? Super poor people, dirt poor people, who are giving abundantly. Out of joy, complete joy. Most of us think that we give out of our abundance, but actually the Macedonian Christians didn't have any abundance. They gave out of their poverty, and they were glad to do it. They were in suffering, in poverty. Who does that? When's the last person you saw that had no money and gave everything that they had, that they had left? This joy simply existed in them. They even had it during their time of suffering. But notice it wasn't just a little joy. It's like there's a whole bunch of joy. It says an abundance of joy. So it's like joy upon joy upon joy. So if you look at verses 2 and 3 then, if you look at it, it, this example, the Macedonians, as they were dirt poor here, living in extreme poverty, they were also being crushed by life through persecution because of their devotion to Christ. Their situation in Macedonia was not good. But they still gave out of the abundance of joy with a wealth of generosity. In other words, they weren't just giving. They were giving more than anyone would reasonably say. And you actually see this as it goes on. We'll, we'll look at this in verse 4. But the interesting part about this is, is that they're in these adverse circumstances. And in these adverse circumstances, God gives them the grace so that they would give. Even in their poverty, they were joyful and rich in generosity. Do you notice the words he's using? Poverty, generosity. Those two don't go together, do they? If you're poverty, if you're poor, you don't have anything to give. But they, they were giving whatever, everything. So the Macedonians here gave according to and beyond their capability without compulsion. They gave above and beyond their capability. That's what this is talking about, this Greek word. It's this idea of capability. Now look at verse 4. They're giving desirously, they're giving, they're desiring to participate in the ministry of the gospel. In verse 4, it literally says, begging us earnestly for the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. Can you imagine that afterwards, like you, you literally are poor, you have no money, you're barely making ends meet, not able to, to, to pay the rent, and right after the sermon or whatever, you run up to me and say, please, would you please let me give? I'm like, listen, you don't have any money to give. And you're like, no, please let me give. I want to show the grace. I want to, I've been given grace and I want to give much grace. This is what Paul's talking about. They are, the Macedonians went up to Paul and begged him to give. I'm assuming he said, guys, seriously, be wise about this. No, we know we're called to do this. We must do it. That is what was going on in Macedonia. Wow. Wow. To them, giving was not something that was required, but something that was a great privilege. 
Giving was a privilege. Now look in verse 5. They're giving in the Lord. Check it out. It says, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Notice what is important here. Is it really the amount of money that they gave? No, it's not. Though they probably gave a small amount of money, right? If you're poor, you don't have a lot of money. So the offering that the Macedonians came up could be the equivalent, right, to like 100 bucks. Let's just say. You have a church of a bunch of people. They're all poor. They don't have any money. They're being persecuted. And all they, all they come up with is 100 bucks. But that's a ton load of money if you don't have any food or you're struggling. And that's the point. I mean, I don't know how much it was, obviously, but you get the, it just for, as a picture for us to think about. And so they were strapped for, right, these things, but the primary thing was that they gave their lives to God even when it hurt. Their allegiance was first to God. They were bought with a price, the life and death of Christ. They were Christ. If our life is not our own, then what isn't our own? If your life is not your own, for you were bought with a price, what isn't your own? Your money, your time, your talents. Your life isn't your own. Your life was ransomed. It was given back to you by God. And so all that you have, all that you are, is no longer yours. It is Christ's. And so our possessions are not our own. They saw the greater treasure of God and his kingdom. It freed them from clinging to the world's values and treasures. As we look to the grace of God in Christ, it actually drives us away from our self-supporting impulse. I mean, you understand that. There is an impulse in you that God has created to preserve self. That's good. It's a good thing, right? If you don't preserve yourself, you die. But our problem is we take a self-preservation impulse and we then apply it to everything and make it about just getting everything that we want and not just preservation. We make it about much more than that. So we can't give ourselves away when our security is not firmly rooted in Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? If your security is not rooted in Jesus Christ, you will not be able to give yourself away. And so, essentially... Christ has met our needs and spent himself for us. Now note how Paul hints at how the collection is a reflection of God at work in their lives. And he says it gives a stamp of approval on Paul as God's minister of the new covenant. They gave themselves to us. Why does that, have you ever thought about that? Why does it say they gave themselves to us? Really, what he's saying is, is it's proving the ministry of Paul, that it was true and right and good. You and I don't actually, in this realm, grand nature of things, need to hear more reasons why giving is good for you. Do you know that? I can promise you, you have heard enough sermons in your life on giving is good for you. Do it. You know, you tell your kids, hey, if, you, if you're selfish, you, it's fine. It's good, good lessons for the kids. No, you'll feel better if you care for others. But you don't need that motivation. You've heard, you've heard enough of it. So if, if, if you haven't got that motivation yet, you're not going to get it again by me just telling you, hey, give and everything will go well with you. Because that's actually just not true. I mean, you know that. Right? You give, like I mentioned, you have less. And your life might be hard. So you don't give to make your life easier. 
give for another reason. And so in verses 6 to 8, we see how we should excel in God's grace by giving. So Paul tells Titus to make sure that they finish the work of grace God has started in them a while ago. In other words, they started to give in the past, in 1 Corinthians. They were going to give. But then they were sinning and were in rebellion, and so they stopped giving. So they couldn't take up the collection. And so now that they've repented, they had the opportunity again to give themselves to God and to Paul. This is like a do-over, right? So Paul went and said, here, I'm going to give you the opportunity to give. And then they got rebellious and didn't do it. And now Paul's like, hey, I want you to participate in the grace of giving, so here's a do-over. Let's go. I'm sending Titus. He's going to take up the collection, and then we're going to take it to Jerusalem. That's what's going on here. So in verse 7, Paul is telling them that their giving should match their other spiritual giftings. Do you remember the letter of 1 Corinthians? How filled with the gifts that they were? He talks about prophecy, tongues. They had all these spiritual gifts, right? Look at what Paul does in this verse, in verse 7. He says, but as you excel in everything. In other words, he's like, you all have loads of spiritual gifts, and you excel at them. Isn't that great? He said, then he goes and explains it. In faith, you've got a strong faith. In speech, you guys have been given eloquence by the Holy Spirit. In knowledge, you have so much knowledge of the Bible and all this other stuff. In all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel. And this act of grace also. You say, you've got all these great spiritual blessings. But are you excelling in the grace of giving? Or are you just excelling at a bunch of spiritual things? Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13? Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not love, I am like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Though I give my body to be burned and give away all I have to the poor, but have not love, it profits nothing. So the Macedonians gave like this, but Paul says it profited them. Why? Because it came from a heart of grace. And so these giftings, abundant spiritual giftings, God had poured out upon them but they seem to show that they lack nothing from God. But the reality is, is it seems that something was missing for the Corinthians. Because this, Corinthians was a wealthy city. And you know what was missing for them? Giving. The grace of giving. So Paul is telling them that giving is as much a spiritual gift of grace as any of the charismatic gifts that the Corinthians had. Hard to think about. Giving is a gift akin or more so than the spiritual gifts. And so that receiving gifts from God like spiritual gifts should actually lead to expressing grace to others. So what's Paul saying? Giving is simply the right response to how God's grace would work out in their life. So in verse 8, Paul mentions that he didn't have a direct command from Christ to give. Okay, So he gives two examples. The first is the Macedonians. And the second is God himself. And that's in verse 9. I think what Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, I can't give you any greater motivation 
or reasons to give than God himself. Right? Paul did not come and sit here and tell you tell them all the blessings they would receive. In fact, what we're going to learn next week is the bounds of giving. Because there's bounds to forgiving. Because Paul's like, yeah, I mean, Paul's not advocating for people to like give away the fountain so that they can give water to people. He's saying, give out of the fountain. Don't give away the fountain. If you give away all your money and you have no money and nothing, and you put yourself in a bad spot, you won't be able to give in the future. So we're going to talk about that next week. Paul gives you a check there. So you don't hear, you shouldn't hear me up here saying like, sell all your homes and sell everything. I mean, if you feel that way, you can. I mean, you know, but that's not what Paul's getting at here. So let's look at verse 9, uh, and then we'll apply this thing. So Paul wants us to see, he wants us to see that God's grace is in Jesus' giving of himself. Jesus himself showed how grace expresses itself in love because he gave up his own rights for the sake of meeting the needs of others. Considering the needs of others more important than our own is the heart of Jesus Christ. Jesus was rich, but he became poor so that you could be rich. That's what verse 9 says. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you might by his poverty became rich. So Jesus actually, in what he's saying, sold everything. He gave up everything. He came to earth. And he even gave up his life, didn't he? Jesus gave it all, so that you, could, you and I could be sitting here filled with the wealth and riches of God in Christ. And so, what were Jesus' riches? Do you know what they were? His divine preexistence and his equality with God. What was Jesus' poverty? His incarnation, his earthly poverty, experiencing the wrath of God, dying and being buried. Jesus emptied himself, Philippians 2 says. And so what is our poverty? How did we become rich? We see how Jesus became poor, right? He gave up all his glory. He gave up his glory. And became actually poor physically on this earth. And he gave up. And he gave up his rights to, to, as king of the universe. Right? Being adored and praised and honored. Getting mocked and ridiculed and put upon a cross. But our poverty is condemnation. Our poverty is being under the wrath and judgment of God. Without hope and without God in the world. And what are our riches in Christ? Righteousness of God. Being declared righteous, united with Christ, forgiven and adopted, given the Spirit of God Himself living in you, and given eternal life. That's your riches. Not more money on this earth. That's not your riches. That's not what Jesus died for. Jesus died so that you would have eternal riches and have abundant life with Him in the present. And so... In Luke 19, 1-18, you remember that little song, Oh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Right? And then the end of that says that Jesus said, You come down for I'm going to your house today. That is contrasted with the previous chapter which we read of the rich young ruler who had so much wealth. What did Zacchaeus do? He repented. And the grace that he had been given in Christ Jesus, he said that he would take half of what he had and give it 
to the poor. And he said he would take what he had stolen from others, taken much, and he would return it. Was it I don't remember how many fold, fourfold or something like that, he said. And so the reality is, is, is that Zacchaeus was controlled by money. And when he met Jesus, he was controlled by Christ. And he gave it all away. Authentic salvation changes our orientation toward wealth. The rich young ruler could not depart because he had too much wealth. If our professed salvation has not loosed our grip on our wallet and on our material things and has not made us into a giving people, we are not acting as if we have been saved. doesn't mean necessarily that you're not saved, but it means you're not acting in accord with your salvation. And so... Despite whatever our mouths say, if our lives don't match the giving of Christ in our actions, then we are um, not living in accord with the reality of our redemption. Okay, so this whole sermon is really about delight-driven duty. We don't obey because we must, but we do it from joy, giving ourselves to the authority of Christ as given through his apostles. We become like Christ as we act in the same way that he did, giving up our physical resources for others because of the spiritual riches in God. Now, let me close up with some application. I want to make sure you all get this right. This was not a moralistic sermon. Give. It's your duty. That's not what this was. This was a sermon about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because Paul made giving about Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is not, and don't hear me say, give because you must. Don't hear me say, give or you aren't really saved. I hope you didn't hear that. Please don't hear me say, WWJD, what would Jesus do? This is more about WDJD, what did Jesus do? not WWJD. You should live like Christ, but that's not your motivation. Now, hear this. Do what makes sense according to your status as a child of God. Give according to what makes sense that you have been named a child of God who has been made rich by the grace of Jesus Christ and he showered his love and mercy and riches upon you. Give out of that. That's why. This is what I'm saying. Give according to the riches of the grace of God that you know. And if you don't know the riches of the grace of God, come to know. Not so you can give, but so you can receive the riches of Christ. Because that is what you have in Jesus Christ, his riches. And so... I'm not going to tell you an amount because that's not the point, is it? Did Paul give a percentage or an amount here? No. He said, the Macedonians gave more than they could, is what he said. So the Macedonians didn't have any money and they gave more than they had. If we followed their example, we'd probably be eating beans and rice if there were people who were starving and we could help. See, let me try to illustrate this. The Macedonians had chicken. 
Okay? Made a little tiny piece of chicken. And the Jews didn't have anything. So the Macedonians gave away their chicken to the Jews, and they ate beans and rice. That's, that's, that's what's going on here. In the, in the most simplest of terms. They have nothing. I have something. I'm going to give as much as I can. I don't think they bankrupted themselves, but I think they gave more than was comfortable. And so, the reality is that the amount of money you give doesn't mean anything. Do you understand this? Jesus was clear about that when he sits down in the temple and watches the the people give. Do you, you ever thought about that? How weird is that? Would you ever sit and like just sit on the side here and observe each person putting money in the plate? You ever thought about that? That's what Jesus was doing. He was sitting over there watching as people were giving money. And he sees these wealthy Pharisees and all these people like bringing bags of money and dumping them in, dumping them in, dumping them in. And he's like, yeah, you know, they're giving. And this little old lady comes. And she takes two silver coins, two mites. She pops them in. And Jesus said, she gave more than all of these people. Because she gave out of poverty. In other words, the other people gave, which was good, they should be giving. But they gave out of their surplus. This woman said, I love God. And I love worship. And I love Jesus, the temple. Jesus is the true temple, right? True Jews were looking for that true temple. And I'm going to give my money to hear for him, even though I don't do it. And I think it was, it was so much so that she probably didn't have food for the next day. If you look at that text. So here's the point. The motivation behind your giving means everything. Even if you give away everything you have, as Paul told the Corinthians in, his, in that last letter, it means nothing if it's not coming from a heart motivation of love. If your motivation is not a love for God and for all that he's done, your giving is as empty as your heart. Did you hear that? If your motivation for giving is not a love for God and all that he has done, your giving is just as empty as your heart is. What if you aren't giving it all right now or haven't given in years? Well, look to Christ. He was rich, but he became poor. So the question to ask yourself is, am I willing to give up my goods as as Christ gave up himself? If you do give, and you've been giving, and even you've perhaps been giving above the tithe, how can you make sure that you are not living for the world, but are living for Christ and living out of his grace? Do you understand? So if you're giving already, the question is, what's the grace in you, and how are you living out of that grace? Not just give more money. You may be giving tons of money. Great. That's not the point. You have to live out of grace. And so, you see, I can give X amount of my income and still be living out of the world and not out of grace. For people that do give, they need to look at their lives and say, God, what are you asking of me? Look at how you are living and ask, am I wasting money on stuff? Do I need to replace stuff that works just to have something new? Or even this. 
am I willing to give of myself if I'm giving of my money? Because quite honestly, it's easy to give your money and not yourself. So, sure, I give, but what am I doing with the rest of my life? Am I giving out of everything, or am I simply giving out of my surplus? Grace. It's all about grace. Giving is not about getting. It's about the reality that Jesus Christ has given himself for you. And now, how does that grace overflow out of your life? Father, thank you that you have made us rich in Jesus Christ. Lord, would you break our hearts for how we keep little areas of you from our life and we do not give all of ourselves to you. Help us, O oh God, to walk in a way, in a manner that is worthy of the calling that we've been called in Christ Jesus, not to get stuff, O oh Lord, but to receive and experience the beauty and wonder of knowing you in all that you are. So please bless us and fill us with your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.